0: Most of the time, when you get into something, it isn't the first mistake you make. It's when you're trying to correct the first mistake and you make your second one. Always trust your compass. Always, I carry three. Sounds like overkill, but I know no matter what, my opinion will never override three compasses. If you're lucky enough to be close enough to see cottonwood trees, there's always water. If more people carried a spot locator or an aviation band radio there would be fewer deaths in the outdoors i'm sure of that planning to improvise is planning to fail i guarantee you if you've never done it before you're not going to be able to do it when you're freezing this is michael lavali i'm the quiet survivalist and you're listening to the wild initiative
1: put down your latte and pull on your boots there's a lot of people that can pull the trigger on an animal but they don't know what to do with it after. If you would have told me that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I would have told you you were crazy. It's
2: just a skill that you have to perfect over a lot of years.
1: Hunting is a tribal activity. We've lost the tribe. We can't even hunt together anymore. Well, the people that are anti-hunting are usually pro-abortion. So kill the people, save the animals.
2: I just remember riding my horse back to camp with the Northern Lights and the moose behind me, and I'm like, this is why I've done this. This is as cool as an
1: experience as I will get. Hi, this is Jim Shockey. This is Sam Soholt, the public land bus guy.
2: Hi, I'm Kimi GreenTree.
1: Hi, this is South Cox with the Western
2: Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, this is Ben Datamonte, a.k.a. Shed Crazy. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, all welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective.
1: Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: So getting on to today's episode, I am sitting down with Michael LaVallee, the quiet survivalist himself. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Good to be here. So, Michael, I want to start out just with a little bit of introduction about yourself. How you got your, I guess, intro to the outdoors and hunting and survival?
0: Um, well, I guess the easiest way to say it is my dad died when I was 11 and I was kind of forced into it. I grew up in rural Vermont and learned a whole lot just by getting out and doing it. I started out with a single shot shotgun and a 22 and managed to put a lot of meat in the freezer while i was while i was growing up and i just that's pretty much the way my life worked out and i've moved to arizona when i was in the army been here almost 30 years i stay here because of elk hunting that's the only reason i love elk hunting and been through i don't know pretty much every outdoor toy and everything else since i started my website people sending to me and mostly it most of it's not really all that useful some of it is but it's it all just kind of piles up and gives my kids something to play with
2: so we were talking a little bit before the podcast and i just i loved this story so i want you to share you know a a little bit whatever you're willing to um you know I, i was i was confirming the pronunciation of your name and you know your response was uh well it depends on how it's spelled and i guess why uh why, why would we find it spelled differently in so many places?
0: Well, my family is from the Northeast, usually Southern Quebec, Northern New England. And the majority of the family from the family history that I have used to be manufacturers and distributors of alcohol. And the easiest way to get out of going to jail back in the 20s was you walk up to the judge and the judge shows you, reads off the warrant and asks how the warrant name is spelled. And the judge spells the name and he goes, no, no, sir, your honor, my name isn't spelled that way. My name is spelled like this. And the judge gives kind of a smirk and clicks the gavel and says, well, I guess you got the wrong guy. And now there's about 50 <laughs> different names, LaValley, and they're all spelled differently, but it all pronounced the same.
1: <laughs> well, and most of
0: the family doesn't know that.
2: <laughs> That is, that is just too funny. I love it. Uh, <laughs> got, got the old uh, rum runner name change exactly. back in the the family history. Mm-hmm. I love it. But uh, so one thing, you know, again, we were kind of talking beforehand and really, uh, you know, the outdoors is, I hesitate to say a new thing for me, but it, it was not uh, bred into me, like with so many, so many people that I talk with and, you know, going the outdoors was always kind of a vacation thing or, you know, an every summer kind of a thing for, for my yeah. family. And um, so there are a lot of holes in my knowledge, I will be the first to admit. Uh, what, Namely, one of the big ones is those fieldcraft skills that are very necessary when you're Western hunting and you're, you know, going into the mountains, you're backpacking in, you're spending three, five, ten plus days at a time you know away from civilization and and again there's we have you're even talking about we have so many toys nowadays that uh to some extent allow you to slack on those you know field craft skills whether it's a you know a high altitude cold weather lighter or uh, you know a gps or this or that or the other there's so many so many toys that to some extent I don't want to say they replace those skills but they allow allow people to slack and not take the time to learn them
0: yeah and that's
2: that's one of those things that I struggle with and I need to take time to learn and especially now and we're living in some crazy ass days right now as we're recording this podcast yes and
0: the funniest thing about that is if you've being prepared and having a good knowledge base, you can sit back and just laugh. And is, I try not to do that publicly, but it's if you're confident that you can take care of yourself no matter where you are, it, it makes you less likely to need to run out and, and panic like the mob, like the mob does. And you're talking about the toys that we have. There's a couple of things. There's one area in Arizona that I hunt that I will not leave the pavement without my aviation band radio and my ham radio because you get you get in there and there's no getting out if you get hurt but there's other places that you pick a direction and walk you'll hit a fence it's a long walk around but all you got to do is walk out so it's depending on the knowledge of the area and your confidence and the ability to get yourself out of what you've gotten into and Most of the time when you get into something, it isn't the first mistake you make. It's when you're trying to correct the first mistake and you make your second one and then you're stuck. You know, it's it's you can get an injury or you can get confused or you don't listen to your compass, that kind of thing. So specifically field craft wise, it's it's mostly land, mostly navigation as well. Keep you out of trouble more than into it. You know, anything after that is, is just a bonus learning.
2: So tell me a little bit about, you know, I've got your website up here. Tell me a little bit about the quiet survivalist and, and kind of your goal with the brand and and your mission.
0: All right. My goal with it, when I first started, it was to give me an outlet from work. I've been in law enforcement for 28 years and I just needed something to get my mind directed to something else. I ended up with enough credits for two master's degrees because I was bored, and <laughs> learned a lot about college and learned that mostly master's degrees train you to be unemployed. and so it was fun to learn. There were some underlying reasons because of it that I haven't told my wife, and degrees in psychology was there for one reason and one reason only. <laughs> but it's it was it, it was just something to give me an, a mental outlay of what I like to do. And you'll notice that if you read through my articles, I'll concentrate on communications for a while and then I'll switch to hunting. And I wrote uh, five or six articles, including a three part series on hunting in the Western States, how to get drawn for tags, where to apply, how to apply, uh, different tactics for off-road, not following the mob. And I did that just because I wanted someplace that my kids could go and look if something was to happen to me or people like you who never hunted before and go, wait a minute, if I look here, he'll tell me exactly how to find elk. And I do, you know, and it's the same, same thing with any big game in Western United States. You know, there are people to talk to that will tell you everything you want to know, and it'll save you a lot of time on the ground walking around looking for things and I can keep going with that
2: if you'd like. <laughs> well, let's let's get in let's get into this a little bit. Um this this may not be as applicable for someone that's uh you know doing a little bit more road hunting or you know sticking by their car, sticking within range, maybe someone back east that's also you know, walking in and out and they're spending the night at home every night. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, yeah, survival skills are going to be important regardless, anytime you go into the outdoors. But, you know, this is definitely going to have a huge effect for those of us that are really into the mountain hunting, backpacking and spending days at a time away from civilization without necessarily a standard means of communication. Okay. And so for that that person, you know say somebody like myself that knows they don't have the level of skill they should. What are some of maybe the initial skills or skill sets that this person, someone like myself should start looking into learning and developing?
0: Um, water. Western United States has none when you need it. So that would be absolutely my first My first thing that I look for, one, the animals are going to go to it. And two, you need it. You need to carry some way of water purification. I am absolutely an MSR fan. I love their, their MSR water filters. The other thing is navigation. I have seen people get lost a quarter mile from their truck. And it's not hard to do. You drop off the road and you're in thick brush. Always trust your compass. Always. I carry three sounds like overkill, but I know no matter what, my opinion will never override three compasses. <laughs> it's, I've been in animated arguments with my compass, swearing it's wrong. Well, it never has been. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you carry enough of them to where you're, you just, you're overrun with the vote. And uh, land navigation, learn how to read a map. Know what the little lines on a map mean. Absolutely. If you can figure out what a map says, and learn to navigate with it, you can get out of anything. You know, GPSs fail at the worst possible time. Thick brush, deep canyons, anything that has overhead cover for you, the GPS won't get a good signal, but your map is always there with you. That would be the first thing that I would do and learn how. And carry more water than you think you're going to (laughs) need.
2: Definitely, I've I've learned that lesson as far as carrying water. And, uh, you know, there's been a couple of times I've gone in and, and realized uh, I've, I've, I've had a few nervous moments until that very last minute when you, you almost get lucky and find that water source. But, uh, uh, so maybe starting out with that, what are, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you want to carry uh, filtration options. I always make sure to carry a couple of backup options as well. Um, I carry, you know, I carry a, a filter, I carry uh, some tablets and I carry a SteriPen as well just for, Any and all situations. Uh
0: What I'll carry a go for it. I carry an eyedropper bottle full of bleach, and those bottles that you're drinking out of right there will thread right onto the bottom of an MSR filter. Mm -hmm. I don't know about any of the other filters because I buy MSRs because then I only have to buy one filter element for all the filters, but those bottles will thread right onto the filter. If you've ever been out in the dark or early morning, trying to work your water filter, holding your filter over a water bottle with too small a hole or too big a one, trying to pump water. It's a three-handed job you only have two hands for. It's, it's it just it's not worth the effort, the frustration, and you just want to throw things. Like I said, I carry bleach, mostly because the bleach is easy. It's in almost every house. Now, of course, it's getting rare to find. <laughs> but two drops of water or two drops of bleach in a liter of clear water, or four drops of bleach in the brackish water, mostly cloudy. Try to filter it. You can use a t-shirt, clean socks, whatever, as you're putting your water in your container. And then then four drops of bleach into that. Let it sit 15 minutes. If you can let it sit half an hour, it's never going to hurt it. And then shake it up and drink it. It's not going to hurt you, but it'll kill all the bugs that are in it.
2: And dead bugs aren't going to hurt you. (laughs) Well, hopefully... uh... Hopefully you'll get uh, any of the large bugs filtered out with that sock or the T-shirt too. The viruses and the bacteria. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's, It's good for you. Protein. There you go. But as far as the rest, I mean that, that has, for people who have started hunting in Arizona, that's the one thing that I've told them absolutely never, ever leave, leave your truck without water because you'll pay for it dearly. You can, you can get following something and then realize you're an hour away from the truck and you're, getting the shakes
2: because you're dehydrated it's and you can never find water when you need it now do you have any tips as far as locating water so say you know you you follow an animal into an area you're not as familiar with maybe you haven't planned out you realize you're running low on water do you have any tips as far as uh things to look for good ways to locate water
0: um if you're lucky enough to be close enough to see cottonwood trees, there's always water. There's in cottonwoods are really easy to find. They're the tallest trees in Arizona. Uh if you can see cottonwoods, go and go underneath them and dig. Cottonwoods draw an outrageous amount of water up into the ground, up out of the ground in their trunks, but you can always dig and down around a foot, foot and a half, it's all mushy and then you just let the wall fill up with water. Oh, as far as anything else. Public land all over Arizona, regardless of how far from the roads you are or not, most of it has been ranched. Look for windmills. The best thing, the best description I can give you for a windmill is the first, the opening scene of uh, The Wizard of Oz, those big (laughs) steel windmills. There's always a water tank underneath those, especially if the windmill's turning. It may or may not be drawing water, but the well is still there. And there's almost always a wet spot underneath that you can throw your filter in there and suck water out of. You may not get a lot of water, but you can usually get some. I hate to give advice about climbing windmill towers. The best advice is don't. But theoretically, you can turn you can turn the blades and get water to work. But
2: mm, probably not. Gravity is not my friend.
0: <laughs> no. And you can cut your fingers off on those wells too if the wind catches them while you're got your hand in the blades. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a learning curve.
2: So moving on a bit then to, to land navigation and, and reading maps, things of, things of that nature. What are some of the basics when it comes to uh, that, that? Where should somebody start saying like, okay, I want to learn how to better read maps, learn how to use a compass with my map? Uh, where, where does that start out? Of all the rooms in my house, I'm in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I got maps all over my, my workshop, hanging on the walls. Um, if you don't have, it's uh, Greg Davenport's Advanced Outdoor Navigation. And it starts off from when you've never seen a compass before in your life, all the way to astral navigation, using the stars to figure out where you are and what direction you need to go in. I wish I'd had it 40 years ago because I had to learn the hard way and get lost about every other week. I've read this book so many times and used it so many times. I've about worn the thing out (laughs) and I've taught classes. People ask me, well, how do I get from here to there? And I said, well, look at a map. You mean that thing you get at the gas station? No. And that's where I start from with some people. And, or it goes from guys that I learned to really navigate in the army Cause they'll give you a map and a compass and drop you off. So you're here. You need to get here. And it's like, uh-huh. Oh, and by the way, you're not going to eat till you get there. <laughs> <laughs> There's
2: a positive learning curve there. So you would recommend, uh, for somebody that wants to, wants to start out learning outdoor navigation, uh, this book, and I'll make sure to link to it on the show notes page, uh, Greg Davenport's outdoor navigation, advanced outdoor navigation. Advanced outdoor navigation. Okay.
0: It it is literally, I've got stacks and stacks of books on all kinds of stuff. That is the best outdoor navigation, land navigation book I've ever read. It's, I tend to not recommend things I don't personally know about and have. Mm -hmm. And it's, it has amazed me. It's like, where was this 30 years ago when I was in the army? (laughs) Because it simplifies everything. And you can go as in depth with it as you want. And Arizona is great for star navigation because we don't have any streetlights out here. So you can see the Milky Way from horizon to horizon every night. So you go out there with the book and go, okay, that's where that is. And that's where, okay, if I follow that, I can get even more lost. And, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's a great learning tool and you can learn about things. Like, I'm not sure what part of the world you're in other than California, but if you're out off the pavement far enough to where there's no streetlights even when it's not hunting season you can learn about stuff that you can use at the time
2: and i think that's one of the the really important things is is taking this time in the you know the quote-unquote off season uh the way a lot of us do manage to do it i think there's never really an off season but uh yeah you know when 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 we're not in the middle of september october i i think it is it's important to Uh, Think ahead and really focus on practicing those skills uh, when you're not also stressing out about chasing an elk, chasing a mule deer, things like that. Um,
0: Well, it's just like getting in shape. At at seven thousand feet, it's not the time to learn that you probably should have got off the couch (laughs) and done something before the season started. You know, and it's you're 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 absolutely right that the way life is now like I've I've sworn up and down for the last five years in a row, I am not going to wait until the week before the season to check zero on a rifle. And it's just one thing after another. And then pretty soon it's, oh God, I still haven't checked zero. And they haven't changed. It's not like they wander around, but you still got to check. It's just, it's frustrating that no matter what happens, you're always behind. But then again, I've learned to not stress about stuff. You know, I've got one rifle that I zeroed. I want to say 7 8 years ago and that thing has never moved an inch and I treated it like a rented mule. <laughs> it just and it runs great. You know, God love Trigicon scopes.
2: <laughs> um so maybe uh let's talk about some of the other other fieldcraft survival skills that somebody might need when they're going into the field. Like for example, this year I was in I spent 6 weeks in Montana this last year. Wow, and uh, I'm jealous. It was it it was a lot of fun. <sighs> uh, I was uh, I was launching some projects remotely. I just uh, just quit the full time job, so was uh, was very fortunate to be able to spend that time in Montana. But one of the things, one of the things that happened is the you know winter hit really early this year, this last year. I mean, really, really early, and it hit pretty hard. And so I spent a lot of time in some pretty cold weather, some pretty heavy snow. And one of the things I've always struggled with is when you're dealing with heavy rains, heavy snow, uh, I always struggle with finding dry wood, starting a fire, things of that nature. What uh, what tips would you have maybe for as far as, uh, you know, someone in that a situation like that, starting a fire? You know, I, I can only use uh, trioxane, so... <laughs> so much okay there is the daily campfire that kind of
0: thing and then there is the fire that if you don't get started you're gonna die and so the daily campfire i i'm a big believer in more is better you know some people will say you need a tinder ball the size of your fist no i go volleyball or basketball size because it's Fires go out because of lack of fuel, lack of oxygen, or lack of heat. If you've got heat and oxygen, but not enough fuel, your fire is going to go out. And I know that's a little bit confusing, but I like, the further north I go, I crawl up underneath pine trees with my knife and hack off chunks of uh, pine pitch. That stuff burns like a shingle factory. If you can find an old burn, or if you're walking through a burn and everywhere out west has burned in the last 20 years, you know, all you gotta do is walk around and look on the ground for little partially uh, pine stumps sticking up, kick those out. The knot in the middle of them is uh, is uh, heartwood, not heartwood. Um, anyway, it's all pine pitch. It's mostly pine resin. You shave that up and it'll catch with a spark off a ferro rod. Um, and speaking of ferro rods, don't buy ferro rods. That are made in China, don't they? Don't spark uh, the dark black ones and the big fat ones that you get on Amazon. They're as thick as your thumb. Those look like they're a pain to carry. They are right up until your hands are shaking and you're trying to hold on a little tiny one. No, get a big one and get and use the back of your knife blade. Get serious about it. Uh, two butane lighters. Carry them next to your skin. The first layer of clothes you have, which usually inside my my waist i put like one of those uh, belt pouches i flip it over and carry it inside my pants so the butane lighters don't don't die it's cheating but you know it's not cheating if you're dying and in my pack always is a 15 minute road flare i I've, i i've been literally in driving rains here in Arizona where you thought you're going to have to issue a life raft to get back to the truck and I've always been able to start a fire with a road flare they also make really really good signaling devices if there's a helicopter out looking for you you're the guy standing on top of the ridgeline waving the road flare that would be a clue and <laughs> somebody somebody's going to notice that <laughs> yeah well and well the, the problem with Arizona And it seems like this every year you people building signal fires and they end up burning 10,000 acres. Well, yeah, you get all the help in the world, but you've really made a serious mistake. And so building a fire, spend, spend way more time preparing your, your bed of fire, your fire bed, uh, your tinder ball underneath pine trees. There's a moss that grows on them. It's gray and it's called old man's beard. And, the bottom layers of a pine tree, usually the stuff that's in close to the trunk is dry. And you pull that moss off and it's gray. It looks like a an old man's beard. And you put it, if you can't put it in a plastic bag inside your shirt, just stuff a bunch of it into your shirt and just keep stuffing it until you've got a ball of it in your shirt. That stuff will dry from your body heat. And there's, it doesn't retain much moisture anyway. And it'll take a spark like that. And if you've got a lighter, it's even better. Um, Aspen bark doesn't work as well as most people think. They confuse it with birch bark, which burns very, very well, even when it's wet. But aspen bark doesn't. But you'll find more aspen bark up further higher than you will birches. And a lot of people don't know the difference. They think, oh, it's white. It must be birch bark that'll burn. And they'll throw sparks on it for hours and nothing will (laughs) happen. Never use leaves. Leaves do not take a spark well at all, dry or not. Leaves are great to get your tinder ball up off the ground, off the wet, and off the cold, because remember, heat is your third tier in building a fire. So you have to have heat. You need heat, fuel, and oxygen. And the ground will literally suck the heat right out of stuff. So you need to make a level. That's why you see people building a fire on top of a layer of logs. You want to separate it from the cold ground. And it doesn't take very long, before your fire is going, and then it stays going, but until it does, you don't. You want as few things
2: working against you as you possibly can. So then, you know, you've got you've got your tinder ball going. What uh, do you have any tips then, as well for finding uh, finding larger larger fuel? Because a lot of the time, you know, I'll go out and if it's been snowing for a few days, you start grabbing those those dead branches on the ground, and they are just completely soaked through.
0: Most of the west is covered in lodgepole pine. They're, real, they're fairly thin on the bottom, but they're straight. And you'll find dead ones that are leaning over onto, onto different trees. Be careful cutting them down. I generally tend to use a folding saw instead of an axe on stuff like that and pay attention to it because if it's under tension, that wood will snap. But if it's dead, laying off to one side with no bark on it, anything that's not touching the ground is going to be dry. I'm not a fan of trying to split wood with your knife for a lot of reasons. Mostly you can break your knife blade and that's what you're living with for the rest of your trip. If you live the rest of your trip. So, you know, if you can carry a lightweight hatchet, that's great, but you can usually cut off one of those trees that have fallen down. Look at it. If it's just hung up and it's just laying there, cut off at the bottom, grab it, pull it away. All those branches up at the top that are dead, Are great for small wood to use on top of your tinder ball. And then you just cut chunks out of it as you're going back. The bigger stuff, cut it in lengths as long as you can carry. Because if you drop it across your fire, let it burn in half instead of wasting the energy cutting it into smaller pieces. Reflectors help a lot with fires. You can double the amount of heat that a fire is putting out that you can feel by just building a reflector of logs behind the fire, usually one step one full step behind the fire and you can use the wood that you're cutting that are in six foot lengths stack it behind it and and you make it as a reflector so the heat hits that and bounces back to you and now you've doubled the amount of heat that you're actually feeling instead of heating the woods around you
2: so you know you mentioned uh you mentioned a pack saw or a hatchet and you know we've talked about ferro rods and you know you want a good camp knife what are maybe uh Maybe including that stuff, what are, what are some of the just absolute essential survival tools that, that somebody should make sure to have in their pack? Uh, we talked about water filtration, a compass already. In their pack, a
0: hatchet is nice. Um, I really like, I don't want to plug names unless you don't mind. Oh, go for it. The Fiskars or Gerber synthetic hatchets. I like them because, one... The steel will take an edge like I've never seen an axe take. I've got a Grands Force Brux hatchet that I absolutely love. That's the only other axe that I own that'll hold an edge like the Gerber, the Gerber hatchets. And it's just the steel they use. Fiskars has got it right when they're making those. The other thing I carry, and, and I will not, will not, will not compromise, silky folding saws. They're, they're incredibly sharp. They hold an edge forever and I've not found wood that I can't cut through with it. They're amazing. I've had one for 10 years and love it. And they're lightweight. You can't use it like you would a knife, but it's, it, they cut wood great. And when you're breaking down trees into logs that you can pick up and move, they're much faster than an ax uses a lot less energy. It's better, better outlay of your, your energy. Other stuff in your pack. I carry a minimum of four liters of water or 200 ounce camel black bladders or whatever you use. The camelbacks, I know again, just like a Nalgene bottle, they'll screw right onto the filter. So there's no monkeying around. You just pump the water and it fills your, your, fills your bladder right up. Uh, I like white plastic tarps, the uh, the clear plastic. If you can find one, they're great. If you don't, Uh, I won't leave home without a poncho and a poncho liner, but that's just my time in the military. I can see you've got one on the back of your, your sofa behind you. That's what (laughs) I've got hanging in here just because I keep them out of the from the kids. Uh, absolute have to haves. I really like to carry moleskin. You don't get a blister until you're two, three miles away from the truck. Moleskins are great along with that um, tincture of benzoin. people Most people don't know about that unless they spent some serious time outdoors or in the military. Tincture of benzoin will save you. It's the worst stuff in the world to get on an open cut, but it will glue moleskin to you until you're, they'll bury you with it. It's, you're <laughs> scraping it off in the shower for a week. But it, the tincture of benzoin is what amounts to medical glue. That's how they attach bandages to patients in areas where the bandages won't stick. And I learned about it from treating blisters. And one of the medics showed me, told me about it and I begged borrowed and stole all I could. Because <laughs> if you get a small blister that turns into a big blister within minutes, tincture of benzoin right on the bare skin. You'll dance around a lot, put the moleskin skin right over the top of it and you're golden. As far as The absolutes, the the field craft is cool. It really is. And it's really nice to show that you can do everything that you need to do if if you had to without anything outside support, except what you've got in your pockets. And in my pocket right now, I have a butane lighter, my pocket knife, and a flashlight. But I absolutely believe that those spot locators will save your life. If if you fall down, fall off a mountain, it's it, time to say, OK, this is past what I can do. Press the button. Get him out of bed. Come get me. Because that's the kid that had to cut off his own arm. And uh, in Utah, I believe, a couple of years ago, they made a movie about it. If he'd have had a spot locator, he'd have pressed the button. He'd have been standing there and the rescuers would have got there and going, now, how the hell? <laughs> but <laughs> he wouldn't have been out there alone, sawing off his own arm. Yeah, uh, aviation band radios. This is a sore spot with the prepping community because people who know better. The law says in an emergency you can use any means necessary, but the problem is is that some people think that that means their definition of emergency. But in aviation band radio, there are two frequencies that are monitored by every single aircraft that flies that has multi-band capability, and. Those frequencies are the Mayday frequencies. The military calls them the guard frequencies. Even if you, you can see an airliner above you, you can reach them with a five watt aviation band radio and they will answer you. They'll be very surprised, but they'll answer you. <laughs> well, it's not something you hear of, but if more people carried a spot locator or an aviation
2: band radio, there would be fewer deaths in the outdoors. I'm sure of that. Well, I'll tell you, I... I have, it's, it's not one of the spot locators, but it's the same style of device. I have a, a Garmin inReach. Yes. And that thing is, I mean, not only does it help keep me sane sometimes cause I can check in with the family mm-hmm. and with my friends occasionally, but it is, you know, it adds a huge sense of confidence that, you know, if the shit hits the fan, uh, you can yes. get, get your butt out of there.
0: Yeah. It's, I really think it's the, the macho attitude that gets people into trouble. It's, it's knowing that when you're up against the wall and you say, okay, this is now gone past just I'm lost to this is stupid. I'm done. It's time to call help because, but people won't do it because, Oh, I don't want to, I don't, don't want to cause my family problems. or I don't want to cause, cause people to get out of bed and come find me. You know, I've been out in the dark and in the cold and seen the, searchlight from a Blackhawk once and I'm never going to forget how good that looked. And (laughs) so I'm just, yep, I know I'm going to be able to call them every single time I leave the pavement that I can't see the truck. (laughs) Awesome. And it's, you know, and people, uh, people get fixated on the primitive stuff and the primitive stuff is great, but reality is there's a reason that those things, this, this technology exists, it's not something to rely on, but if it's a fallback to where you don't have any other option, you're either going to bleed out, freeze to death or, or whatever has happened to you, don't be afraid to push the button.
2: And I think, you know, that's, that's the, the critical point right there is there is a huge balance in all of this. We, we, we kind of, you know, joked about toys at the beginning of this and, Um, but a lot of those quote-unquote toys are are incredible tools as well and it's it's all about finding a balance to where yeah it's great having all these devices and all of these things that make the outdoors more accessible but you always have to keep in mind that those things can fail and you have to be prepared it's not about it's not about trying to flex, you know, flex your manhood and go out and say like, oh, yeah, well, I'm not going to carry a lighter because I, you know, I'm perfectly capable of, you know, slamming my knife against a rock and an improvised ferro <laughs> rod. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> it, you know it's, it's not about that. It's like, yeah, carry the damn lighter, but know how to start a fire if your lighter freezes up, you know, it's, One. it's all about that balance. One
0: of the things on my website, as you'll see right at the top, planning to improvise is planning to fail. I guarantee you, if you've never done it before, you're not going to be able to do it when you're freezing. I, it, people who who say stuff like that, honestly, have never been wet and cold to the point where they can't talk, their vision's blurry, they're shaking, and and they do There, that's why I carry a road flare because it's a gross motor skill and I can get a road flare going and any fool can pile wood onto a road flare as I've proved on a couple of occasions when I was really really bad off went altogether too far in the wrong weather so it's it's about layers you know your your GPS is wonderful then you have the GPS on your phone then you have your your radios, and then you have your map and your compass, and then you have climbed to the top of a mountain and and look around and see where you are. You you need to know that there are layers to everything and that you, can, you have the ability and the equipment to fall back on the next layer if what you're depending on first goes. If you just depend on one thing, you're done when it doesn't work. I had a Garmin, a Garmin Rhino, still have it. It's never failed since. All of a sudden, one day, just stop. And I thought, well, that's just rude. <laughs> and the one time that I didn't have my cell phone with me because I didn't want to have it ringing in my pocket, and I thought, well, okay. And it took me almost two hours to get out of what should have taken me fifteen minutes because I just forgot. I'm just going for a quick walk. It's all it is. I'm going to run up this hill and check to see if there's look at the waterhole, and it's it goes bad quick. Now, fortunately. It wasn't raining. It was nice out. It was, it was an easy walk back, but it was still, it's one of those learning curves. That Garmin's on the shelf behind me here and it's, it hasn't failed since, but it just stopped. And that was a slap to the head that two is one, one is none. You know, y'all should always have another option to get yourself out and not that none, not just for navigation, but ways to start a fire, ways to do anything. And that's in your daily life too. You know, I, not many people carry two jacks in their truck until they've used that small jack that came with it. And then they go, nope, the high lifts going in the truck next time I get home. And
1: <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> so it's, it, it, it all builds on it. It's like any man who owns a single 10 millimeter socket has never opened his socket set. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, but it's true. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, two is one, one is none. And, that is probably the best advice I could give somebody that's new at, at anything outdoors off the pavement. It's one thing if you have to run down to the hardware store and get something. But it's another thing when you're out in the middle of God knows where and you've got a lug wrench that's the wrong size for your truck. hmm Because mm-hmm. – you didn't know that when you changed your rims and tires, they changed your lug nuts too. And
2: now you've got a lug to fit the factory
0: tires. Yes. i have never been there before. Have I?
2: Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about with that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's, it, there's, there's just, there's so many things like that. And it's easy to overlook in your day-to-day life of how much stuff that you take for granted. And then when you have to fall back on it, it's like, Ooh, you know, and People ask me, well, where do you collect all this stuff? And I can tell, I tell it at some point, somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, I needed it. Yep. And so it's easy enough to throw it in the truck. And if you've got it, you'll never need it. And in the truck, it's easy enough. If you're backpack hunting, you know, it makes it a little more difficult. I'm sorry to say that my backpacking years until I get new shoulders is, is gone. And it's a shame too, because I've got some really nice packs that I would really <laughs> like to learn. Well, I would really love to just pack up and go with. But then you gotta pack out the elk too,
2: which is yeah. Mm, need so lots no, of children for that. Uh, no no uh eight, ten mile trips back and forth with uh 20 pounds of elk on your back. Um simple answer no. I'm
0: too beat up. I need six joints replaced. There's, there's a limit to how the thing about growing older is that when you realize that you're not 25 years old anymore, (laughs) and so you have to change the way you do things, instead of doing it the hard way, which I admit was a lot of fun. It really was. But there's, there are so many opportunities out there that you can do that are close to pavement and close to roads that you can get a regular four wheel drive truck into. Like we were talking about earlier, I hunt with disabled veterans. One is missing one leg. I make him drive because he has a vested interest in not wrecking the truck because <laughs> he has to walk out if he does. Um, if, if you change the way you do things other than what the mob is doing, because the mob is almost always wrong, no matter what, the toilet paper rush is a good example of that. <laughs> um, you can learn, especially on public land where everybody says, oh, there's too many hunters. There's not any more, there's no animals. Well, yeah, there is. You just have to learn to find them. And its I've written extensively on that. And if you want, I can go into that now. Um, public land hunting in the West, There's the majority of it is just interlaced with Forest Service roads. The, easiest way to find elk and most of the time the first morning most of the elk are taken on the initial hunts and then the elk get pushed back. Well the elk will still move at night and so what you want to do early in the morning is you want to drive roads around the perimeters and as as you're going you're looking at your your forest service map or your topographical map seeing where the roads are going. The other thing you can do from there is get aerial photographs that show burns because they put fire breaks in that are not on Forest Service maps. And you can break your area down. What I like to do with new areas is I'll take the map and divide the area up in grids and check grids every morning and every night at dawn and dusk. But during the day, I'll drive the roads looking out the window on the ground. And I'll be honest, I learned how to do this watching Border Patrolmen do it, tracking Aliens And, you know, elk leave a better track than aliens do. You drive those roads and the roads will basically go in circles. And so you can follow the circles and see where elk cross. And if you got elk going in from both directions or just one direction and you don't see tracks coming out, look up. That's the mountain that they're on. And then it's just a matter of okay, how can I get up there, can I get up there into the wind, do I need to wait for a day when the wind is blowing in a different direction. And getting an elk down a mountain is a whole lot easier than hauling one up the mountain. So, once you've shot an elk up in there, and just go real quiet, once the wind is blowing consistently that day, and you can walk right into herds of elk. And that's generally the way it works out best for me. And then you just get on the radio and tell everybody, okay, I've got an elk down up here. We need to figure out how we're going to get in here and get it out.
2: Not a bad way to do it. I, uh, I'm actually going to be in Arizona this year. I drew, I drew unit eight. And so, uh, I will be, you
0: need to, we need to sit down and have a chat because I know unit eight really well. Mm. And I know three hunting guides that
2: work unit eight too. archery or rifle it is uh early archery so starting uh september 11th um and i'm excited i'm gonna be uh i'm I'm actually i am going guided this year i'm gonna be uh do you know john stallone (laughs) i know yeah
0: he's a friend of a friend of mine
2: yeah i i know who he is okay Um, yeah john's a good buddy and uh so i'm gonna be i'm gonna be going with days in the wild this year
0: if if you promise to not put this next comment that I make into
2: the podcast, I'll give you a hint. Well, here, let's, uh, let's, let's save it until after we finish up. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry guys, all y'all that are listening. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to end, I'm going to end this podcast and you're not going to get to hear the cool tips. So <laughs> life's rough. There's, um, there's
0: things that are so secret. Oh, you yeah. can't tell anybody.
2: <laughs> so, on that on that note uh as we as we're winding down one thing i was kind of like to end with is you know say you're uh, you're running into someone who uh is brand new to the outdoors you know maybe maybe it's someone like me that was not really raised in it maybe it's uh just someone that that really wants to get into hunting and they come to you and say hey you know i've always wanted to do this i really want to start getting into hunting and the outdoors but i just feel like there's too much for me to learn. It's too overwhelming. I'm not sure I can do it. What What advice would you give to that person? I would
0: take him up to a friend of mine's house and see all the crippled vets sitting on his back porch. And I would tell him that every one of us takes an elk out every single year. It's period. If we can do it, anybody who is able-bodied and willing to open their eyes and close their mouth and learn can do it. They really can. And it doesn't take... And I just use us as an example because, honestly, we are not the ultimate hunters. We've just figured out a system that works in Arizona, and it works for pretty much every animal, all the animals we draw tags for. Don't be afraid to learn. You've, you've heard about beginner's luck. Well, generally, beginners do things that the mob is not doing, and that's how they stumble onto the 10-point buck, the 8 by 8 elk because they do things that other people aren't doing. And that's almost always the case when you start picking apart what they did and how they did it, which is how, by the way, we've learned how to do the stuff we do. It's just a matter of, of being able to learn, you know, it's every single year I go out knowing that I'm going to learn something. You just have to pay attention when it happens to you to learn the lesson you're supposed to. And, I found elk walking in places, and the little mental map in my head goes, "Wow, I never thought to look here for elk." Well, apparently nobody else did either, because that's why <laughs> the elk are there. And, and you put that list in the back of your mind. Why are they here at this time of year? And and you just kind of build that in your in your head. But every one of us started with a blank slate, and you don't need to have somebody who's been doing it forever. If they were starting alone hunting in the west, I would do what I did, what I said. Grid out your area on your map. Look at your map, find places you want to be glassing morning and night. Uh and if you don't see anything that morning, go someplace else at night. In 3 days in most areas you'll find animals. Then you can figure out how you're going to get in there. That's a conversation that is is way more than the time we have left, but it's <laughs> it's basically watch animals learn about what they do, learn about where they go different times a year. If you're not, here's another secret that most people don't learn, and if you don't read my website, talk to the road crews, the Department of Transportation, road crews. Where are they finding dead animals? DPS, county sheriffs, where are they getting most of their single vehicle accidents? An elk does no good to a rental car. and i mean and it's you go out you say okay just give me an idea just using elk as an example where are you getting most of the road kills and they'll give you a mile marker okay you drive out there or you look at the mile marker on the map and oh there's a mountain right there well batman would call that a clue (laughs) check that mountain or be where you can glass that mountain right as the sun's coming up or as the sun's coming down The elk cross there for a reason. They're creatures of habit. Then you can plan out how you're going to get in there and get the elk. But once you find them, that's, that's 90% of your job is finding the animal. Once you do that, you're good. So for a new hunter, that would be where I would start. I mean, it's like I said, there's so much more, you know, you got to go out there. You got to try not to die. (laughs) 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 Well, there'd be, it's, it's, It's funny, but it's the truth. I mean, people now, they're talking about, when do we start going out to hunt for our food? Really, guys? You've never been off the pavement in your life. And it's going to be like a treasure hunt and an outdoor gear raffle for the next five years for people that hunt, finding these poor people who went out and tried to find their own food because they can't buy toilet paper. And and they end up dead. And it's, it's funny, but it's sad. No, it it really is. That was, I got into a into a a conversation with somebody who I thought knew better recently, and I said it's an anthropological fact. Anthropological fact: the leading cause of death in Native Americans before the white man got to got to this continent was starvation. These are people who lived, ate, and breathed living here from the day they were born, and they still starved to death. The second one was exposure way down the list was them killing each other. And then the white man honestly brought disease and that's where a lot of that came from. But most of the time, the native Americans starved to death or died from exposure, which strangely enough, chances are a hunter is not going to starve to death, but dying for exposure very much a fact. And it's easy to happen even in Southern Arizona, I've seen 70 degree temperature changes from the middle of the afternoon to midnight and if if you're not if you don't believe that'll happen you really can die you can get hypothermia and die at 40 degrees so that's find a mentor would be the next best thing to do is that if you have a mentor they will keep you from doing dumb things <laughs> but don't be afraid to talk to them and say hey what if we did this what if we did this or why aren't we down in this area and you'll probably get a simple answer like, well, there's no elk down there. And chances (laughs) are it's because they wasted a whole lot of a season walking around where they're asking about, but this, I tell them, don't follow the mob, find you somebody that's done it more than once or twice and, and just become their best friend, be willing to cut wood and, carry the heavy stuff when you're setting up camp that kind of thing, you know, be useful, don't just be dead weight
2: and keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. There we go. So if folks wanted to uh find you online, uh follow along, read some of the articles, check out what you're doing, where's the where can uh folks follow along?
0: Uh com, And I have a contact page there if they want to get a hold of me. I get a lot of spam there, so, you know, have a little faith i will find their email and don't be afraid to email me twice if if i miss you because some of the spam filters don't i've also got a contact uh i mean i'm sorry the comments underneath each article if you want me to contact you say hey drop me an email here and i'll be happy to do that cuz i i check every single comment that goes on on my website and I, I don't do the tinfoil. I don't do the senseless arguments. I try to keep it as civil and non-political as possible on my website because I want it to be for everybody.
2: Awesome. Well, I will make sure to uh, link to all of that on the show notes page. Everybody make sure y'all go check out quiet survivalist.com. Michael, thanks so much for sitting down, taking the time, had a really good time chatting with you. Hey, thanks a lot, Sam. I enjoyed talking to you again too. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure you check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. I'm looking forward to next time, but until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild
1: Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes. Check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more.